Welcome to Wild Women, hosted by Camille and Sarah. This is a podcast about mind, body, and pleasure, an honest talk on all things self-care. We discuss issues related to dating, fitness, beauty, mental health. We also discuss stuff about social issues, and we often have interviewees that come up and tell us a little bit about their businesses or their inspirations or motivations or just their journey through some type of recovery. For those of you who haven't listened to us before, this is our second season. Let's dive in. Okay, welcome to Wild Women, and today we have a special guest. So Cynthia is a registered dietitian who specializes in helping women recover their menstrual cycles. Um, So Cynthia, can you explain what was your motivation to become this type of nutritionist? Yeah, sure. And ladies, I just want to thank you for having me on. I'm very excited to be here. Um, I'm very passionate about spreading this message. And To answer your question, my motivation uh, behind it is because I used to be that woman that did not have a menstrual cycle and that was searching around for answers from doctor to doctor, Googling, et cetera, to say, okay, uh, my missing period, like why is it? Because the doctors would just put me on birth control or tell me, come back when I'm ready to have babies because we'll do fertility treatment. They could never tell me why it was missing. And so I struggled for years trying to find answers. And then finally, when I did, that was, gosh, I'm trying to think how many years ago, Uh, maybe six, seven years ago, I said, well, I've spent so much time searching, you know, I don't want to wait any longer to try to get pregnant. So even though I finally found my answer, uh, I was impatient to get pregnant and trust the process of letting my body get it, get its menstrual cycle back naturally. So yeah, the motivation really is to help other women so they don't have to waste years like I did, uh, that they can get the answers that they need so they can move forward in their life. Um, And not only that, the menstrual cycles that I help restore are typically in women that have a, if you want to say strict or very regimented relationship with exercise and with food. So whether it's counting calories, macros, being on the latest diet, being super healthy or known as the fit girl, that was also me. And so helping them figure out that not only can they get a natural period menstrual cycle back by eating enough and uh, resting enough, but they can also start to live a more free life around exercise and food in their bodies. That's awesome. What is your favorite aspect of your career of helping women? Oh gosh, I want to say my favorite is that they change their lives. They start to have this newfound relationship and balance with food and exercise into where they're able to just live again. They're able to enjoy time with friends, enjoy time with family, find love, explore different career opportunities, move to different countries, like just living their life. Uh, So that is my favorite. Yes, I love helping them get their period back. But I always tell my clients, if we work on, you know, breaking these food rules, you know, healing body image and all these underlying reasons of why your period went missing in the first place, your period is just going to be the bonus. It's Mm going to come back. 
if we work on these things. So I would say yes, the period. Um, and it also, you know, makes my heart explode when women are able to conceive because a good amount of uh, the women I work with do want to conceive. Uh, so that's always um, really amazing too, being able to help uh, another woman create a life. And beside fertility, why is having your period so important to a woman's health? Oh, this is a great question. And I also, I, I often get, um, you know, questions on my Instagram saying, well, who wants a period anyways, or, you know, it's just a pain in the butt or whatever. And I totally understand. Yes. While periods tend to be, I guess, a pain in the butt, it's your fifth vital sign. And meaning, you know, if you don't have that, something, something's wrong. And so if you're missing your period, you could be putting yourself at risk for osteoporosis. You can put yourself at risk for heart disease. You can put yourself at risk for cognitive disorders. And like you said, fertility issues as well. And maybe you're at the age where you're like, well, I'm not going to have babies for, you know, however long. And, you know, it's about your bone health. Uh, mm -hmm. So those women that are super young, maybe they're athletic or they're partake, participating in, you know, distance running that have no periods and distance running is your thing. And you want to maybe go to the Olympics. Well, if you're not fueling your body appropriately and getting your period, you're not going to a grow appropriately. You're not going to have the strength and the bone capacity to do that later on in life. So, you know, those are just a few things and not to mention most of the time women lose their menstrual cycles. And again, this is most of the time, not always, because there's a lot of athletes out there that maybe have a good relationship with food and their body. But most of us have lost our periods because we fear food or we, you know, are on a certain diet and we're letting external forces control what we should do to our bodies. That alone is like a mental mind F. And from so many, you know, my clients will say, oh, I can't believe like I used to think about food 24 seven or what I was going to eat or how many macros I put in or whatever. I have so much more space in my mind to do all these other things. So you'll get that mental capacity back too to enjoy your life. Um, and aside from the health disparities, enjoying life is definitely on the top of my list. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Um, so before I ask this question, I have to compliment you on your Instagram. Oh my goodness. It is so entertaining. And that's actually like how I found you. I came across you on like a search or something. And yeah. oh, I just started watching your videos and they're so much fun. They're hilarious. I was literally laughing out loud during some of them. Like, oh, I, I love it. But yeah, and on your Instagram, you did mention being a non-diet dietitian. Can you explain what that means a little bit? Absolutely, Sarah. And thank you for the compliment. Um, I was just talking to um, a client and I had asked her and I asked many of my clients, well, you know, I, what has interested you to book a call? And she's like, oh my gosh, your bubbly personality. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you know, it's such a compliment because I do, I do have a lot of fun. Um, and to tell you the truth, Sarah, my Instagram, I started the account, oh my gosh, uh, a little bit before the 
global pandemic hit in January, like January, 2020. Um, and so I always, you know, like, you know, I want to grow this, you know, online community and really help women, um, that maybe won't be able to afford to work with me or, you know, uh, don't have the capacity right away. So I'm so happy that you not only find them helpful, but also entertaining because period recovery is hard work. Mm-hmm. And we got to we gotta bring a little bit of humor to this. So, and in regards to your question, the non-diet dietitian or anti-diet dietitian. So that, I'll explain, you know, I've gone to college for five years. Actually, I'm going on 11 years as a registered dietitian in um, October. And what we have to do is go through four years to get a bachelor's degree. And then um, now dietitians actually have to go for their master's degree. Back when I graduated my master's degree, we didn't have to. And so they make you do a dietetic internship, which is like 1200 supervised practice hours, many different rotations in uh, the dietitian field. And so as dietitians, we are taught in college, very diet-like things. So for example, calories in versus calories out, exercise every day, you must you know, eat lots of fruits and vegetables to be healthy, you know, you have to be a certain weight or certain BMI. So that's all caught up in in diet culture. Mm -hmm. So it was about halfway, a little bit less or about halfway through my career as a dietitian. I was like, this is just, this just seems all wrong to put people on diets, to make them control and restrict, to make them worry, to make them always question themselves and their bodies. And so I started to do some research and I can't remember the first, I think her name was trying to think of my first dietitian that I found that was anti-diet. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like, this is a thing, you know, because I always felt it like in my bones that just, it was just something wrong about me telling people to diet and, and lose weight and, and stuff like that. So I said, oh my gosh, this is a thing. I can practice and, and preach intuitive eating and preach that you can be healthy at any size. And so you know, the, the term anti-diet dietitian or non-diet dietitian is in fact a dietitian who practices belief that all foods can fit. Um, intuitive eating is a strong, you know, principles of, of mine once women start to restore their menstrual cycles and really to help women and really, and men too, because men struggle too uh, with, with body image and stuff like that. But that this diet culture, these messages of this diet, that diet, or you must lose weight, or the newest uh, craze, Noom, it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle. All those things are just a crock of, you know what. Um, And here's the thing, the diet industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. And diets have, I can't remember the percentage of fail rate, but it's a great business to be in if you want to make money. It's like 90%, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, something somewhere around there. You know, it's a great business if you if you want to make money and, you know, ruin people's lives because mm-hmm. so many women and men are caught up into external forces driving what they should eat or how they should exercise. So, yeah, and I know that was a long drawn out answer, but a non-diet dietitian or anti-diet is, is one who practices health at every size. One, which is also movement by Linda Bacon, and one that intuitively eats, intuitively exercises, and enjoys life, despite what the outside world of diet culture tells us to do. I love it. So you mentioned a little bit on your Instagram, help at every size, and then you just talked about intuitive eating. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about what those things are? 
Yeah. So health at every size is actually, do I have my book up here? Yes. Linda Bacon wrote um, health at every size and it's a set of principles and it really goes into deeply how diets are not appropriate. They don't work that we need to get into the behavior behind, you know, what's going on with the food choices or what's going on with, you know, weight and what's going on, you know, before we treat, I guess, the other things. Also, too, it's um, a movement that helps lots of people realize that our healthcare system is very weight-centric, mm-hmm. and this weight-centric approach is driving lots of people into disordered eating or eating disorders or just setting themselves up to die and fail over again and just have really bad morale. So um, there are a bunch of principles in there and the book is Health at Every Size by Linda Bacon. And so I, I recommend to check that out, but it's it's really a health at every size approach. Meaning if you are 200 pounds, if you are, you know, 110 pounds, you know, that it, it focuses on you as an individual and not the outside of you. So, mm-hmm. and then intuitive eating, is a a framework based on uh, principles and there's 10 principles and this is Evelyn Triboli and Elise Retch and I hope I'm not butchering how to say their last name but this approach gives that particular person the ability to start to learn to be intuitive again and what I mean by that is think of a toddler or a baby that they eat when they're hungry they stop when they're full and they move on. But that is a very small picture of the intuitive eating puzzle. It's based on healing your relationship with food, that no foods are good or bad, exercise, you know, intuitive relationship with exercise, meaning, you know, you're not punishing your body or you're not exercising because you just ate a piece of cake and to really honor uh, your, your hunger and fullness. And that is a set of principles I use with many of my clients post period recovery because many of the women when they come to me their hunger and fullness cues and relationship with food is completely backwards twisted whatever you want to say um and the primary goal uh when women start working with me is that we need to get them the appropriate amount of food so they can start cycling again Mm -hmm. so then that's the first step and then future cycles, we can start to work on more of an intuitive eating basis when it comes to the hunger and fullness. But in the meantime, we can work on all the other principles about breaking food rules and focusing on that food is nor good nor bad and that food is fuel. So that's awesome. And that's, those are principles that I use a lot in my personal and my business life as well. And the things that I always get bad is people commenting like, well, what about the obesity epidemic? What about the BMI? What about being overweight? Like it's bad for your health. As you can see, I get a little bit passionate about this. Um, What would be your argument to that? My argument would be that our world is controlled by diet culture and by a multi-billion dollar diet industry. And so of course, if we market it and make people feel bad about themselves, that's only going to drive them to do this diet or do that diet and just have an overall bad relationship with food. And it's just like a vicious cycle. And as far as weight, 
being, you know, you go to the doctors and maybe you're like, oh, I need a knee replacement. And the doctor will say, okay, you need to lose weight. You know, you, you're this in obesity scale. And then that person leaves the doctor's office and is feeling horrible about themselves. And they decide to go on a diet and the diet, maybe it works for like a couple months and then they gain the, the weight back. And so this contributes to the, the overall problem in the first place. But many of our healthcare professionals aren't versed in anti-diet. And, you know, my opinion around it, Camille, is that we're controlled by more than just the word obesity, but that it's a... I was just listening to a podcast. She called it uh, diet culture is like a cult. Mm. Um, and that everything is really middled into it all from financial aspects of it and how much money these companies make to now, you know, our healthcare system is set up where if you are this BMI, then, you know, you're at this health risk. And to me, it's, it's very discriminatory in that we have no idea what these these individuals are dealing with on a deeper level with food, you know, and that if we don't work on that, then it's never going to truly solve whatever problems are happening. And not to mention a woman or man that is severely underweight is sometimes more quote unquote unhealthy than someone that Mm. is quote unquote 50 pounds overweight. Uh, so it's, again, goes back to that weight centric care and I'm hoping all of us anti-dieters can, you know, hopefully spread the message and, and change the world one day. So I know there was not any clear, clear cut answer, but just more, um, opinions than, yes. than anything. And talking about like BMI, because I've seen a post on your Instagram as well on that. And I totally agree. So what's wrong with the BMI? Oh gosh. So BMI, it is, I can't remember the guy's name, but he made BMI as a measurement tool. I think he was an astronomer. I can't remember his name. Yeah. I just post about it, but um, pretty much it's, it's like a, a measurement tool that does not take into consideration lifestyle, doesn't con- take into consideration family history. So, you know, those things too, when, you know, I, I talk to women that are like, oh, you know, I don't, how much weight am I going to have to gain? And, you know, I can never say I, uh, you're going to have to gain X. Uh, But I also talk to them about, you know, what's your family history? You know, are your family on the petite size? Are they, you know, on the more, you know, taller, bigger frame size? And so that helps determine like, you know, what is normal for you? And BMI um, is, is something, you know, again, attached to diet culture and attached to our medical system that really invalidates our health as as a whole. So, and it also doesn't take into consideration muscle mass. And now here you have, we'll just say an athlete that has tons of muscle mass and their BMI is quote unquote overweight. That may drive that athlete to underfuel and now underperform based on this silly scale. Mm. So yeah, there's lots of attached to it, but you know, ladies, and if there's any gentlemen um, listening that do not pay attention to your BMI. Now, if you have a super, super low BMI, like I'm talking maybe lower than like 19, 18, then, you know, that is where I can say, oh, we probably have to work on, you know, increasing that BMI. 
And some may say, well, you're contraindicating yourself. You're saying it's a crock of whatever, but now you're using that. And yes, I can say that is for medical purposes and being underweight is research has shown that it is 100% attached to lots of um, health disparities more so than even being in the overweight or obese BMI. For sure. Yeah. I remember when I was in treatment for my eating disorder, I worked with an anti-diet nutritionist too. And obviously I had like my therapist and stuff as well. And my uh, pediatrician too. I, I remember her coming up with my goal weight and I was like, and of course me being a teenager with an eating disorder, I look it up right away in my BMI chart. And it's like, oh, well, like if I get to this weight, then I'll be almost overweight. And she's like, no, like we've done your medical history. We've done your, re the research and your height and weight at this time should be this. It does, your BMI doesn't matter. You know, this is yeah. your progression. This is where you should be. This is healthy for you. And yeah, I just, I, I find it crazy how there's still, there's still so many doctors who do refer to that BMR chart, even though there is so much research done on the fact that it's just not accurate, right? No, and what's even more disheartening lately, I'm seeing posts on how children, and I'm not sure where this is occurring, I haven't had time to really look into it or research it, but children are being weighed in school. Yeah. Like, way to kick off an eating disorder real young but at the same time it's like I don't know I, I can't be totally frustrated because I don't know if whoever is putting this in place knows the detrimental effects that it is having on these children so but I guess we, we can save that for a later topic can you elaborate a little bit on the link between nutrition exercise and menstruation Yes, I would love to. So I just want to first kind of back up a second to what is considered normal in our world, I guess, sort of say. So norm is you must exercise daily. You must be fit. You must be X BMI or X weight. You must have a flat stomach. And for those conceiving or pregnant, you must have a belly only pregnancy, the list goes on, right? So all this stuff is completely normalized, which makes it normal, right? Even though it's, it's really not. So that's where it kind of starts, right? So we're exercising every day, we're eating super healthy, we're following, you know, the what I eat in a day videos, which please, if you are following these videos, ladies that are listening, don't, they don't know you, they don't know what you're struggling with, they don't know how much your body needs, etc. So, you know, so we're following all these external forces and listening to what society deems as healthy. And here we are, maybe flash forward, we don't know that our period's missing, because maybe we were put on the pill at a young age for whatever reason, maybe heavy period, something like that. We, and I'm just using a story to, to kind of play out the scenario, but so then we we go to the doctor, maybe we're married or thinking about getting married and we want to come off the pill and we don't have a period. And we're like, oh, okay, well, my doctor says it's fine. I'll just go back on the pill. And so then finally we figure out that I am not eating enough and I'm not resting enough. So what happens is when our body is not getting us fuel and we're outputting too much energy, such as exercise, our hypothalamus is signaled uh, because our stress hormones live there. 
our sex hormones live there, our appetite control is there. And so the hypothalamus is signaled saying it is not safe around here. Like things are, are looking scarce. Like we're in survival mode. There's not enough food around here. I'm being chased by lions every day. And when I say chased by lions, your body, like, you know, you're going for a run, but your body, the stress mechanisms and survival mechanisms it has, it looks at it like I'm being chased by a lion. I'm being chased by a bear. So your body thinks it's in like straight up like survival mode. So then your stress hormones kick in and your adrenaline's pumping, fight or flight mode, cortisol, all that. And so this is all signaling to the brain, like it is not safe around here. We must shut down reproductive hormones immediately because why would I have this human carry a baby when things are not looking up? And for those listening, well, I don't want to carry a baby. And I mentioned all the health disparities that come along with this um, in the beginning. So, you know, and here we are, we're like, okay, but this just doesn't make sense. Like I'm supposed to exercise every day. I'm supposed to eat really healthy. And why is my period missing? So it all comes down to how smart our human body is um, in helping us survive, right? If we were, just think of yourself out in the wilderness, you really had no food and you're really being chased by lions. It is going to do everything it can to protect and conserve energy. Mm-hmm. And that means I don't have energy to hold, hold on to a baby and I need to keep my stress hormones up, my adrenaline and my cortisol so just in case I, I get really chased down or, you know, something attacks me, whatever. So here we have these stress hormones going and lots of women will say, you know, I have so much energy. Like I would totally feel it if I wasn't eating enough or I'd be totally losing weight. And our body is smart. That cortisol, that, that adrenaline is going to keep your energy levels up because it, your body needs to look out. And as far as it goes for, you know, the fight or flight mode, you're, like I said, your body thinks it is in in danger. So how do we overcome all this? And that's where, you know, those two are related. And the way we bring back a menstrual cycle is by eating more, by resting enough, by going against all these things that you thought were normal, like exercising every day, like eating 1500 calories. And, you know, I can speak on this personally because I was one of those women. I was the girl that had to be healthy, that had to be fit. I was trying to get the flat stomach and all that. And when I finally was appropriately diagnosed, I said, no way. I was like, exercise is good for me. No, I can't be doing too much exercise. And I'm eating, you know, for what a five foot one female needs to eat. And yeah, no. That, that's 100, none of that is true. You can exercise too much and you can be too healthy in your eating and thus missing your period. Now, women may say, well, I, I only eat 1500 calories and I exercise every day, but I still have a period. And so here's the thing. It could be A, a matter of time before you lose your period or B, your genetics are strong in the fact that it, you know, it's it's keeping your sex hormones going, but it doesn't mean that there isn't an underlying problem with your fixation on food and exercise obsession and stuff like that. So that's important to note too. And just because you are still getting a menstrual cycle doesn't mean that your body is truly healthy because there could be things that are, are not, we're not able to see on a, you know, a seeing level. It could be happening at a cellular level, stuff like that. So 
my long drawn out answer in a nutshell, our body's innate ability to keep us alive and uh, help us survive through times of famine and times of danger. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that answer because I always tell people like the stress of dieting has so much more health problems and like actually Mm -hmm. like whatever your doctor tells you about your weight. Yes, yes, yep. Talking about that, I love how you debunk diet food and explain like why eating nutritious meals is important on your Instagram. So can you tell us like a little bit more about like what are the most common fears people have around food and what, why it's important to reintroduce them into your diet? All right. And food specifically, or just maybe like silly rules like oh I can't eat past this time or oh, I already see that too that yeah, yeah those two. <laughs> so the treatment uh to get your period back is enough food and enough rest so again this is going against societal norm which isn't normal but so which it makes it harder for a lot of women to do and that's why I recommend if you are struggling with this definitely seek support so you're eating more which means chances are before you were eating lots of vegetables, you were eating very, what I call volumistic, where you're getting as much food on your plate for as least amount of calories. So now you're in essence, sort of relearning how to eat. So now we need to focus on higher calorie foods, like fat, maybe butter, cheese, uh, ice cream, and higher carbohydrate foods. So yes, eat those sweet potatoes. Yes, that donut is okay. And putting, I don't want to say less emphasis on protein, but putting more emphasis on the carbs and the fats because most of us come from a place where it's protein, 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 as much protein as you can get. And so protein, depending on what form it's coming from. So maybe it's like a protein shake, which you might get, you know, a hundred calories to the protein shake, even though you're getting tons of protein. So it it doesn't have enough fuel, AKA calories um, in there. So So now we're kind of, again, doing the opposite of what we did before. And so that's very difficult because you may see your friend, you know, Sally, she's next to you eating this big salad with all these vegetables. And here you are with, you know, your turkey sandwich and chips and maybe a smoothie or something like that. So it it makes it a bit difficult to go against what, again, is, is supposed to be normal. But your normal, if you are missing your period, is much emphasis on carbs and fats and some protein. And, you know, if your girlfriend asks you to go out on a Friday night for pizza and a drink, that will bring you closer to period recovery. So, you know, it's little things, you know, rules like that. Oh, I already had pizza this week. I can't have pizza again. Well, do you want the pizza? Like, is it going to bring you closer to period recovery? Then yes, eat the pizza. I'm trying to think of another one. Oh, I just, I just ate. I can't possibly be hungry. And girl, if your period is missing, you need food. And the more you deny your, your body of that hunger, the longer this whole process is going to take. And, you know, think of it this way, say you drank some water, you drank a lot of water today and you went, you had to go pee. And so 15 minutes later, you're like, Oh my gosh, I have to pee again. Do you question that? Probably not. You might be like, Oh, you know, I got to pee again. I got to stop what I'm doing, but you don't question it. You don't label it. You just eventually go pee. Now, if you just ate and you're hungry again, 15 minutes later, you would question that and be like, how could I possibly be hungry? I can't, like I just ate. And 
here's the thing. Yes, you can. You 100% can. And the more you honor that hunger, the closer you're going to get to period recovery and the closer you're going to have this balanced relationship with food and one day be able to just rely on your body alone to tell you what it needs. So I'm trying to think of another one, you know, eating, timed eating. I can only have my breakfast at this time, my snacks at this time, my, you know, whatever at this time. And disregards all senses of hunger. And I was guilty of that at one point too. I remember I used to work as a clinical dietitian in the hospital. I had breakfast. I can't remember at what time. I actually just made a post on it. I think it was yesterday. And today is uh, June 29th. So for those of you that might be listening in the, um, in the future, it's around the 28th. So I used to have time snacks. So even if I was hungry, no, I, you cannot eat until, you know, it's 10 o'clock. And here's the thing, your body doesn't have this, like, I mean, sometimes it does, you know, it'll say, you know, I'm hungry around this time. You might get hungry around the same time every day, but if you're hungry and it's not to the time you are supposed to eat, you need to eat. The more you do that, the more your body will say, oh, she's going to listen to me. Maybe things are looking up around here and I can trust the fact that I'm going to get adequate fuel to function at an optimal level. So, so yeah, so that, I mean, I'm sure I could fill five more hours of different foods and different, you know, uh, silly rules that we, we have for ourselves. And, you know, I don't want to call anyone silly and I'm not trying to, you know, demean it because I was there too. And at the end of the day, are they silly? Yes. But guess what? Again, this is all normalized silly behavior. So many people do this. So mm-hmm. it makes it hard to see that it is in fact not helpful for your health. Mm-hmm. And I hate how like there's one diet that's like super popular and then like people figure out, oh my God, this is actually bad for your health. Let's try a new one. It's yeah. still the same cycle. Yeah. And it, oh, and it just seemed like so much work. Like perfect example. I work, I work in restaurants and I had a table last night and they were like, yeah, so we can't eat wheat. We can't eat dairy. We can't eat vinegar. We can't eat sugar. And I go to my chef and I was like, chef like can you come up with something and he's like no here like I was like oh god like you can go talk to them because I'm not telling them that they can't eat here but yeah no that's just a side note to all that yeah but uh yeah it seems like 2500 calories seems to be like your threshold like that's what people have to eat to get their period back how did you come up with that number So that number is based off Dr. Rinaldi of No Period, Now What, uh, her research. So she had done multiple peer-reviewed articles and came to a conclusion that 2,500 calories is the minimum. And the reason being is that, A, let's take into consideration all the food deprivation and restriction we've had in the past times that onto whatever stress that has come about the body from maybe over-exercising too much. So we have all this, if you want to say, damage done to the body outside of just the menstrual cycle. So things are happening at a cellular level, things are happening at a vascular level, et cetera. I won't get too sciencey here, but all this repair that you can't really see with the physical eye, like AKA your period, you know, you can see that it's more so tangible, all this stuff you're not able to see. So this is giving your body not only the fuel that you need to restore your menstrual cycle, but also repair your body from the years of dieting and, you know, stress and um, over-exercising that you have done. 
And so have I seen women need more than 2,500? Yep, I sure have. Have I seen women get by on a little less? Yeah, I have. But the thing is to remember is that, yes, that tangible goal is, yes, we want our periods, but you also truly want to be healthy with your relationship with food, your relationship with exercise and, and repair any bone damage that has occurred, any, you know, cellular level damage that has occurred um, that we can't tangibly see. So my recommendation is that, you know, women do follow that, that recommendation from Dr. Rinaldi of the 2,500 calories for optimal repair of the body and to get your menstrual cycle back. I love how you really emphasize that that's like the minimum because a lot of people are going to say like, oh, okay, that's my new goal. Like that's mm -hmm. exactly what I have to follow. But your message is really like, you have to make sure that you follow what your body needs. Yes. And I want to mention too, ladies, that don't try to fill your 2,500 calories with lots of vegetables and lots mm -hmm. of quote unquote healthy foods. Because here's the thing, if we don't work on, you know, all foods fit kind of mentality and that no food is good nor bad, that you may land yourself back in the same place you started with a missing period or just, you know, not being able to live your life. You know, just think of this way. Your friend invites you to her 25th birthday party and you're like, oh, I can't eat the cake. I'm going to have to run after the cake. And what am I going to do? I had cake for my mom's birthday on Tuesday, like all these things, this, mm -hmm. this normal thought process that we think is normal is not. So imagine being able to be like, oh my gosh, it's Sally's 25th birthday party. I can't wait to celebrate with her. Mm -hmm. No thought of, you know, food or restriction or compensating with exercise. Oh, I had mom's birthday. Oh my gosh. I get to celebrate my mom's birthday. How amazing. And now that we're most of us are sort of like past, you know, severe COVID lockdowns that we're able to see other humans and touch them and potentially hug them. And, and then we have the, the chains of diet culture just saying, oh my gosh, you know, you're going to mom's and you're going to eat cake, but you have a birthday party and all these things running through your head. Mm -hmm. So it's much more than period recovery is much more than just getting a period back in my eyes anyways. Yeah. And regarding that and coming back to what Sarah said at the same time, for people that believe that they have food intolerances, but mm. it's a disguise of every belief from diet cultures that they took on, how would you work with them on like actually finding out what their body loves to eat? So that will take time. So first step would be, let's get the period back. Because we, if we don't have a period, we're putting, you know, heart health at risk, bone health at risk. So that would be step one. So let's flash forward, say we have multiple period recovery cycles. That's when we start to dabble into intuitive eating and intuitive eating the, it is really based upon satisfaction. Hmm. So for example, if you, you know, it's a really hot day out and you're like, I don't want, you know, mom's beef stew that she made. I want a nice cold salad and that you know we're looking at that towards that is going to satisfy me more than that same thing with in the future because a lot of women will get the misconception that we're supposed to eat all this you know sugary quote-unquote junk food and that's not the case you can allow yourself to eat quote-unquote sugary foods whenever you want 
regardless if you're missing a period, but, you know, flash forward to where, oh, you know, I really want a dessert. I just, I don't feel like I had ice cream earlier in the day. I really don't feel like ice cream again. Maybe some fresh fruit sounds good. So, you know, I help women determine what, what satisfies them at that particular time, because guess what? Now that you're cycling and you're having a, a regular period again, you may have higher needs for eating more during a certain time of your cycle, higher needs, maybe at the start of your period, lack of appetite, you know, around ovulation, you know, so forth. So our bodies, not only do we start cycle for men menstruation, but we're cycling in sometimes our moods, we're cycling mm -hmm. in our appetite levels, what sounds good to us based on the weather. I mean, I don't know about you ladies, in the summer heat today, it's going to be like 90 degrees Fahrenheit here. I don't want a hot beef stew. You know, I want something refreshing and something light. And so again, I'm talking post-period recovery. So that's, kind of, that's how I help them determine to trust what their body is trying to tell them what they need versus any kind of external um, forces. Uh, because as we know, that didn't end up well in the first place. But does that help answer the question? Yeah. And I think what you're also trying to say is that you need to slowly reintroduce certain things that you thought were off limits. Oh, yes. The intolerance part. Yes. So I have many women say, oh my gosh, but I'm intolerant to this and I'm intolerant to that. And it's like, well, yeah, you might be because your body is so not used to eating bread. <laughs> You know, it's so not used to eating dairy because you cut all these things out. So I would say almost 10 out of 10 times, all those things resolve once we start eating more. And as far as the bloating goes, bloating, A, can, you know, be related to you finally eating more, but it also can be related to under fueling as well. And those stress hormones pumping up the volume. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, the intolerances, they magically somehow go away. It's pretty, pretty fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I love that because a lot of people think that like, oh, well, intuitive eating, I'll just eat junk food all the time yeah, and I'll never stop eating and I'll lose all control. But it's the reality is it's not like that. And I love that you really talked about like satisfying your body and listening to your hunger. Can you explain a little bit the difference between an eating disorder and disordered eating? So there are different classifications and off the top of my head, I, I can't remember like the actual guidelines, but disordered eating. So there, there's actually a spectrum of it. And um, Elena, a woman's health dietitian, that's her Instagram handle. She just had a really great post on the spectrum of eating disorders. And it kind of goes from like, okay, you have this normal relationship with food to say, start restricting certain food groups and it turns into disordered eating and then it's like full-blown eating disorder and eating disorders can range from you know completely having like little to no calories to a ton of calories uh you know someone that would be classified as obese we have no idea they they can definitely too have an eating disorder so i think eating disorders and disordered eating are definitely weight biased where we think that if someone is super 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 thin they have an eating disorder that someone in a normal weight can't. But I would say, you know, there's clinical diagnoses on what truly an eating disorder is. But if I had to, you know, if I was working with a client, if someone came to me, 
um, because I do work with some eating disorders and those are usually my private clients. But I, if anyone's lower than a BMI of 19, I don't want to say I won't work with them, but for me virtually to keep up on what they need and, you know, the, the attention that they really need to heal their eating disorder. A lot of times I will refer them out to an eating disorder um, specialist in their area that they can see in person. And so, you know, BMI is something I'll take into consideration personally. And then also, you know, how restrictive are their behaviors and what is their willingness to want to change? I've had worked with I think over the past, you know, my past career, I've had to refer out only one woman to an eating disorder specialty place in her area, because sometimes it's hard to tell when we have our first initial conversation, how severe things are. So, you know, my classification really is certain BMI, but also the behaviors and the willingness to want to, to change. So, so yeah, so the clinical diagnosis, I would just you know, you could go to uh, NIDA, National Eating Disorder Association, uh, to get those clinical diagnoses. But I just yeah. shared a bit of how I kind of determine what what is appropriate for me to see virtually. Mm-hmm. The sure. reason why I asked that is because a lot of people say, "Well, I don't have an eating disorder, so I'm fine." So yes. I think that it's really important for people to realize that they could have like disordered eating without having an eating disorder. Yes, yes, absolutely. And guess what? That disordered eating could lead to the eating disorder. Mm -hmm. And also, again, I think I've said this probably a million times in our our conversation in the past hour, but all this behavior, this disordered behavior, or even eating disorder behavior is so normalized. It is normalized. And again, going back to that weight-centric care, you go in. So for example, I had disordered eating. I 100% did. I go into the doctors, they're like, oh, your weight is fine. You eat healthy, you exercise, you're fine. And I, I actually made a post recently, you know, and saying, has your doctor considered how much you're eating, how much you're exercising? And, and even then sometimes doctors just don't, they, they don't have the, I don't want to say education, but they haven't learned about it. They haven't learned about it. Just like me as a dietitian, I don't know everything about everything right? I specialize in in HA. So if you talk to me about diabetes, I might not be able to give you as much Mm. sound advice. So same thing with doctors. So I don't want you to get upset about your doctors because they only know what they know. But a good doctor will listen to you. A good doctor will listen to you and be open to suggestions of what you maybe heard on Instagram or from the period dietitian. So, you know, going back to that is all these behaviors are extremely normalized, which makes it hard for us to know that we have a problem. And many women with an eating disorder sometimes will say, well, I'm not thick enough because I didn't lose my period, or I'm not thick enough because, you know, I'm still at a normal weight or I'm overweight. And the thing is you, you can have an eating disorder or disordered eating, and it doesn't matter what body size, shape, or, you know, background. Mm -hmm. Um, What would you say is like the best thing that we can do to like fight against this normalization? Like, is it through... Uh, education like is it through like societal awareness somehow like how would you suggest that I would say social media is so it's, it's a blessing and a curse right it's a blessing because there are you know individuals like ourselves out there advocating for more of an anti-diet world 
but then there's, I feel like more individuals out there that are advocating the opposite. So, you know, power in numbers. And, you know, if this hits home to you and you feel passionate about, you know, truly being healthy, like mind, body, and spirit, then you need to need to share it. But here's the thing, you have to keep in mind that while education and sharing is helpful, we still sometimes won't change the views of other people. So I don't want you to get frustrated if you are trying to educate or you are trying to share. You know, I have many clients of mine are like, oh my gosh, like I tried to talk to my mom about this and she, you know, said whatever and so frustrating. And, you know, think of it this way, diet culture has been ingrained in us for centuries, thousands of years. The book Anti-Diet by Christy Harrison is a great book to learn more about dieting history, but we have to give them the benefit of the doubt that that's all they know, right? And that's maybe all you knew up until today or up until last month or, or last year. So, you know, spreading the message when you can, but also not getting frustrated or giving up if you feel like your message isn't well-received that help answer the question yeah Yeah. because it is it is really frustrating when people are like completely down to it yeah what you're saying and you know what I like to say nutrition is a lot like politics everyone has their views on it and you know who you can talk to about politics and who you can't same thing with nutrition you know you know your friend Jennifer maybe she's super open to hearing about whatever, but then, you know, your friend Sam is like so caught up in going to the gym and obsessed with getting her six pack that you're like, I'm not even going to try. So, and all those individuals, hopefully when the time is right, they will come to forth to see how much more amazing life could be when you have a balanced relationship with food and exercise in your body. We can only hope that happens and that some, you know, unfortunately, some individuals will go their whole entire life without realizing that there's, there's this freedom to life. So which I am so thankful each and every day that I have found that because the things that come up in life, you know, say life events that are outside of, you know, dieting and stuff like that, I feel like I wouldn't have been able to cope with them as easily as if I was like struggling with my body or what I could eat, what I couldn't eat and and stuff like that. Yeah. I think that when it comes to that, just being yourself and like you said, like following your own bliss for life is a great way to just inspire people to even look into it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So uh, what recommendations would you give to someone who's trying to get their period back? My recommendation would be to set yourself some small goals. Um, If you're doing this alone and unfollow any social media that is causing you harm or disbelief or triggering you in any way and follow women or accounts that lift you up, whether it be something inspirational or anti-diet accounts, but yes set yourself small goals and start eating more. You know, it could just be maybe you eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner now. Now you eat, you know, you add in snacks. Definitely, I would say get the book, No Period, Now What? It just explained the, it explains the background more in detail about, you know, hypothalamic amenorrhea and gives a lot of hope and a lot of stories. But 
you know, if you're not able to do this alone, which some women are, some women are definitely get the support you need. And, you know, I'll share about more of my programs in a moment, but get the support that you need from whoever you feel fits for you. So there's other dietitians, um, you know, out there that help with missing periods, other practitioners out there, some doctors that know about it, but have some type of support system because you have to think of it this way. You are going to start to learn this new language of eating more and resting more in a world that speaks a completely different language. So you will often find yourself questioning yourself, wondering if this process really works. And I can tell you ladies, by eating enough for your body, which can vary from woman to woman, resting enough for your body, which can also vary, you will get your period back. And if you don't, then there is still a missing piece to the puzzle. And that's really my area of specialty is helping women find those missing pieces of the puzzle. And 10 out of 10 times, it is food related or exercise related. Yeah, for sure. So before we let you go, can you tell us a little bit about the programs you offer, where people can find you, what your social media handle is? Yeah, so all of you guys can find me at period, and that's spelled P-E-R-I-O-D, dot nutritionist on Instagram. I do a little bit of TikToking, but it's, it's hard for me to keep up with all these social platforms and then make sure I'm keeping an eye on my clients. So that's where you can find me. And my website is attached there, contact info is attached there. And so what I offer right now is group coaching for women looking to get their menstrual cycles back. And those women range from, okay, I have a problem. What do I do to I've tried period recovery for X amount of months and I'm having no success. And during those uh, 12 weeks together in my program, we work on overcoming any existing, you know, food rules that you have, finding that missing piece of the puzzle to know that you have to do maybe eat a little bit more, add another snack in to get your period back all while working on healing body image at the same time. And then um, I've had women be very successful in that. Again, if you're eating enough for your body, you're resting enough for your body, you're going to get your period back. So uh, group coaching is right now what I offer and you get weekly calls, a very small, close-knit community of women going through the same exact thing. And they're such an amazing community of women. And I get to pinch myself every day that I get to have such close contact with these ladies. So, so yeah, so that's right now um, my offering be changing in the future. And I'm not sure when this podcast is going to air but I am taking some time off in July. So if this airs in the next few days, um, apply for coaching uh, sooner than later. Perfect. Thank you. That's amazing. Yeah. And yeah thank you, you ladies. Awesome. <laughs> so okay. thank you so much for coming on this podcast and talking with us about nutrition and everything anti-diet. Yeah, thank you ladies for having me. It is an absolute pleasure of mine to be able to be able to spread this message because I know, you know, if I had resources such as myself or no period now what, I would say I'd be I would have been in a different place sooner. Mm -hmm. Um, but guess what? It all works out and here I am today and I couldn't picture myself as a dietitian doing anything else. Love it. Great. Yeah. Thank you again.